It has really been a joy and a refreshing opportunity to be here. And your preacher mentioned an encouragement. This has been a great encouragement to my wife and I. You know, we, we pray when we do meetings like this that we would be an encouragement. But it's always a special blessing when we end up getting and receiving the encouragement. And there's a sweet spirit in this place. We appreciate the spirit of hospitality that we have enjoyed, a beautiful room to stay in and wonderful meals. I have to go back to Florida and go on a diet and all that, but we have just enjoyed it all. And the spirit of your pastor and his wife and Brother Matthews and his wife and all the team here and everyone, it's just been a, a great blessing. And I want to thank you and especially our, our the Christian school students. We've been with them in the mornings having great time and They've been very patient to listen to this guy and also my wife in the split session and uh, to write down notes to, to hear what the Lord has to say to them. And God's really been working and, and we praise God for that with uh, the Lord's working in hearts. There's a couple of things that I've realized since I have been here. Um, one thing is when I go back to Florida, I need to work on my sock game. And uh, my socks are very boring compared to some of the guys up here. So I'm, uh, I'm being put to shame over here, but I, I like that. And then I've got, I've got another thing I've got to work on. I've got to work on my hunting skills. And if you've been in, in pastor's office, you know what I mean. And uh, we don't quite have elk and deer like that down in Florida. We've got alligators, though, and we've got big snakes and iguanas, but it's great. And uh, if you're ever down in South Florida, on the east, southeast coast of Florida, near Miami, Fort Lauderdale area, look us up and come by and visit us. We would love to have you come. Um, our church is a very similar uh, size and spirit of this church, uh, uh, just sister churches. We, we serve the same Lord, and we are indwelled by the same Holy Spirit, and we'd love to host you down there, and if you're going to come down, let me know, and uh, we'd love to be a blessing to you there as well. And then, if you wouldn't mind, keep us in prayer. The Lord has given our church an opportunity in recent months. There is a sister church across town from us. Just I was telling your pastor just during the service, uh, just a few miles down the road, I guess about seven, five to six miles uh, from us, and it's on the Seminole Reservation. And on the, the natives there, they have a local church. It's actually a, it's a it's an independent Baptist church, and their pastor re- retired or resigned and left. And uh, the church had gotten down. They had a pretty good number there years ago, up to about 100 folks. And it got down to just a, just a handful of people. And they called us one day and said, hey, can you help us? We don't have a pastor. And so we've been sending our staff and some preachers in our church to go over and fill the pulpit for them and preach for them. And they're so hungry for the Word of God. And we've been having prayer meetings and and the Lord has led us to a man that works with the natives and the tribe, tribal people out west in the United States. And he's, he's come down and visited, and they're praying about him as their next pastor. And we're just seeking the Lord in it. So if you wouldn't mind praying for that, that God would bless that. Actually, that the church has been growing over the last couple months, and they're having souls saved. And it's, it's just encouraging to see God still working. Amen? And that really sets the tone even for the message tonight. If you take the Word of God with me tonight, church, let's open up our Bibles together to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 in the New Testament. We'll begin our reading of the Bible text tonight in verse number 8, a very familiar verse. The resurrected Christ here, uh, about to ascend back into glory. He had rose from the dead 40 days earlier and had appeared to his disciples, and 
Of course, given the Great Commission, we find the Great Commission given in Scripture five different places and different emphasis given in each one. But we find here the, the story of Christ's ascension, and uh, he's, he's going up back into heaven, and he gives this final word of instruction to his disciples, and it is preserved for us in the Word of God, given to us tonight. And let's hear it with gladness and hear it with obedience tonight. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. How many of you believe Jesus is coming again? And I believe it soon. Verse 12 says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zealots, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. I want to preach tonight on this thought. We need what they had. We need what they had. Would you pray with me tonight? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sweet spirit of this service already tonight. The beautiful music, congregationally, the special music has lifted our hearts toward you. It, it has set you in preeminence, and we thank you, Lord, for that. And certainly we agree with the Apostle Paul tonight when he said, may no flesh glory in thy presence. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to hearts as only you can, that you'd move in a mighty way in this service tonight. Use your word to speak to us. Father God, speak to this preacher and speak to all of us together. Fill us with thy spirit. Help us to hear truth and obey it. And do a great work in every heart. Save anyone lost among us tonight without Christ as Savior. May tonight be the night of salvation. And then help us, Lord, that are saved to hear from you and to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I love the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. It's a powerful book. The book of Acts is the history book of the New Testament. It is a narrative, of course, not an epistle in its nature, but it's a narrative. And in that sense, we understand that as far as our Bible study approach to Acts, this is a narrative, and there's lots of examples going on. It is a transitional book. There's a lot of things happening through the book of Acts, and it sets the stage, and it validates the authority of the apostles to later write the epistles and the letters that they wrote. There's many signs and wonders, and of course, we carefully and rightly divide the Word of God through the book of Acts. But I love the book of Acts because it reminds us of the power of our God. It is a mighty, mighty book. 
And uh, just, just a few things about it. Look at just a couple of uh, uh, watermark verses in the book. If you notice in chapter 2, verse 41, of course, this is the, the passage about Pentecost, and Peter preaches at Pentecost, and Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. How many of you would have loved to have been there that day? I mean, when one person gets saved and then baptized, that's a glory hallelujah moment. But can you imagine 3,000 souls saved and baptized? The Lord was doing a mighty work. And I want you to notice in verse 41, the word added. How many of you like addition when it's good, right? And when it comes to souls, we love addition. That's always a blessing. But then I want you to turn over just a few more chapters to chapter number 6. And notice in chapter 6, verse 1, the language of the Bible here. Now, many days have gone by, and many, many souls have been saved. Matter of fact, in chapter 4, another 5,000 got saved. And now we come to chapter 6, and it says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was, what church? Multiplied. So in chapter 2, verse 41, there was the addition of believers. But here we find multiplication. Happy you know multiplication is, is better than addition when it comes to souls. And now we're seeing multiplication of souls. And, and this is tied to discipleship. The word disciples used here. And I think there's a connection and there's actually a message in that in and of itself that the key to multiplication is discipleship. Not just evangelism, but discipleship. But you notice addition of souls, uh, multiplication of disciples. But then turn over to chapter 17. Chapter 17 of Acts, we find the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, and he's gone out there from Antioch and preaching the gospel everywhere, going here, going there, and he comes to a city called Thessalonica. And in three short weeks, God establishes that local church in Thessalonica, and many great things begin to happen. And in, in verse number six, it says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren to the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither. Oh, I like that. I see in the word of God that the gospel has brought addition of, of believers and then multiplication of disciples. And by chapter seven, they've turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? You know what I say to that? Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. People say today, well, we're not in the days of soul winning. We're not in the days of evangelism, discipleship. We're not in the days where people can get saved. I believe that God is still working. I believe that God is still moving. Listen, Jesus told us to keep going, to keep going to the end of the world. Keep going. Listen, until that trumpet sounds, we got to keep going for God. Onward for the Lord. Occupy until he comes. That trumpet hasn't sounded. I think it could sound soon. But did you know that people have been believing that we're in the last days for many, many years? How many of you remember the year 1988? <laughs> in 1988, I was 11 years old. And I remember my dad was a pastor for, for 40, over 40 years, and I can remember um, hearing my dad and others in our church talking about a little book that was written. And it was entitled, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. Does anybody remember that book? Anybody at all? I think he sold a million copies. But he made some money on it, that's for sure. Then he said, I think I got the date wrong, obviously, right? 
But I can remember, I can remember as an 11-year-old boy being scared to death, because here, here was my thought. I, I remember praying and saying, Lord, you know, I want you to come back. I'm sure I thought that. But I said, Lord, you know, I'm 11 years old. I would really, I would really like to, to drive a car. Lord, would you wait to come till I could get my driver's license? <laughs> and the Lord didn't come in 1988. <laughs> and uh, in 1993, I was able to get my driver's license. I was 16 years old, and I got to drive a car. Shortly after that, I remember, I remember watching Christian television with my, with my dad one night, and Jack Van Impey came on. How many remember Jack Van Impey? He came on there with Rexella. Jack Van Impey had that hair, Amen. And he was talking about prophecy, and I remember him doing all this math, and he was, he was saying, you know what, there's, uh, there's been 6,000 years of human history. He said it was 2,000 years from Adam to, uh, to Moses, uh, or, uh, to Abraham and Abraham, and he was figuring it all out, 1,000 here, 1,000 here, 2,000 here. 2000. He says, we're about 6,000 years in. He says the year 2000 is going to be the 6,000th year, and the millennial kingdom could begin in the year 2000. And if that's the case, we're pre-tribulational, so we got to have seven years of tribulation, right? So that means Jesus could come back in 1993. And that was the year it was, and I, I thought, oh, no. And my prayer changed. I said, now, Lord, you let me drive a car. But, Lord, I would, I would really like to get married before, before you come back. Would you just wait till I get married, Lord, please? And the Lord didn't come back in 1993, right? And some of you remember, by the way, a few years ago, I met my wife in the late 90s in Bible college, and we got married in 1999. The Lord allowed me that wonderful blessing. And then I remember in 1999, after I got married, how many of you remember Y2K? <laughs> and every, all the doomsday people, right? The grids are going to shut down. The whole world's going to shut down. And there were some of those preachers saying, oh, Jesus is going to come back. Y2K is the end of the world. And I remember thinking, Lord... Lord, please don't, just, just, I would love to experience having children. And I would love to know what it's like to have a child. Lord, if it's possible before you come. And I remember thinking that. And the Lord didn't come in 2000. In 2001, we had our first child, David. 2004, we had our second child, Victoria. In 2007, we had our third child, Madeline. In 2017, we had our fourth child, Nathan. And now my prayer has changed again. Now my prayer is even so come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> oh, we've heard it all, haven't we? Right? 2012, 2012. The Mayan calendar ends in 2012. And everybody's had their thoughts and opinions. Listen, don't worry about when Jesus is going to come back. Just know he is going to come back. And we have a job to do until he comes back. Be faithful to Jesus. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep living for God. Keep building your life and your family and your church upon the word of God. Be faithful to the trumpet sounds. Because the God of the book of Acts is the God of Central Baptist Church of Hattiesburg, Mississippi in 2022. And it's the God of my church. And it's the God of the, the age in which we live. And he is able to work. I got thinking about some of the things we have today that they didn't have in the first century. You know, we're 21st century Christians, aren't we? And uh, boy, I've often thought, what if the Apostle Paul could, could visit us now? What if Peter and James and John could see the church today? I mean, if they could visit this time period. You know, we, we would have a, we have a lot of things. Not bad things necessarily. We have a lot of good things that they did not have. 
Am I right? To help us in the gospel work. How many of you are thankful for air conditioning? <laughs> Especially in hot Mississippi summers, right? You ought to try South Florida summers. <laughs> We're really thankful for air conditioning in Florida. As a matter of fact, did you know every state in the union has two statues in the Capitol building? It's a true story. Two statues in the Capitol building. And I was touring the Capitol building a few years ago with one of our state representatives, and he was explaining this. He said, every state in the United States has two people they honor with a statue in the, in the, in the Capitol building of the United States. And, and so we were from Florida. So he says, let's go look at the two Florida guys. So we looked at them. And you know who one of them is? The guy who invented air conditioning. <laughs> we have honored that man because he deserves honor. Amen. Okay. So we're thankful for air conditioning tonight. Amen. It helps us in the gospel work. Hey, we're thankful for a, a microphone to help project the voice. We're thankful for padded chairs and beautiful facilities like this. They, they didn't have that in the first century. We're thankful tonight. Think about some of the things we have that they didn't have. What could the Apostle Paul have done with airplanes? This man traveled on foot, he traveled on beast of burden, traveled on boats. Boy, if he had airplanes and cars, think of what he could have done with that. Think about some of the other things we have that they didn't have. High-speed travel, radio, ballpoint pens, the light bulb, computers, the internet, these things can be used for evil, but oh, we ought to be using every tool we have, every tool of technology should be used for the glory of God. This microphone I'm using tonight, it could be used to speak evil words or, or, or do evil things or speak evil uh, words, but it, it can be used to preach the gospel. Let's use it for good. Let's use social media for God and for good. Let's use email and internet for the glory of God. We have a lot of things that they didn't have. Think about if the Apostle Paul had an iPhone what he could have done with that, how he could have used it to get the gospel around the world. We have much tonight that they did not have. But can I turn that, can I turn that around now? And can I say this? They had some things back then that some churches and that don't have. We need what they had. You can't improve on some of those things they had back then. I want to show you a few things I believe that the early first century church had that we need tonight. Every church needs it. We're talking about Christian school this week, and the Christian school is a ministry of the church. I thank God for Christian schools. Christian schools changed my life. They've changed my children's lives. We have a Christian school. I'm of the Christian schools up to here. I thank God for them. But Christian schools and any other ministry, we need to get back to the word of God and say, Lord, we need what they had. Can I give you just a few things? Number one, the first thing I see in the first century church, and specifically here at the earlier part of the book of Acts that we find, number one, write this word down, they had understanding. Understanding. They understood the plan of God, didn't they? They had heard Jesus give the commission. They understood what God was doing. They had heard God. They set out to obey God. Notice this. They understood the message. The message. Jesus earlier, uh, before our Acts 1 passage in Mark 16, 15, we read that he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the commission for the age. Preach the gospel to every creature. You say, Brother Odom, who should I give the gospel to? Everyone. Everyone. Churches today talk about target evangelism. Target the rich, target the middle class, target the young adult, whatever, you know, target evangelism. I told my church all the time, we believe in target evangelism. 
If they're breathing, they're in the target. Amen. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor or old or young or famous or unknown. If they're living and breathing, they're a creature created of God. They need Jesus. Preach the gospel to them. Boy, that early church understood that. They understood the message was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, everything a church does, and I thank God for the emphasis I've heard and seen in this church, needs to be gospel-focused. It's about Jesus. It's about the message of Christ dying on the cross and rising again and changing lives. They understood the message. Listen, they understood the map. They understood the map. Look again at Acts 1.8, and Jesus says here to them, and ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Watch this, both in where? Jerusalem. They understood that Jerusalem was under their feet, right? That's where they were standing. That's where they were. And that's where we need to start. We need to reach our Jerusalem. I thank God for your missions emphasis here. I've been blessed to see some of the missionary emphasis in this building over here, the different things listed there, nations and people groups. And I thank God for that. Oh, how I've asked God to give our church a missionary heart. But listen, the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. This church is surrounded by your own mission field. Hattiesburg, Mississippi is your Jerusalem. And Cooper City, Florida specifically is my Jerusalem back home. And we need to understand that map. Yes, send missionaries across the oceans. Yes, but send missionaries across the street. They understood that. They had understanding. We need that understanding today. Then he went on and he said, not only Jerusalem, but Judea. This is the regions beyond their local area. The next towns, the next towns. And, and the desire to see the gospel of Jesus Christ spread and churches planted and works done and reaching on and on. Notice the third place he mentions, and in Samaria. That's interesting. Samaria. Samaria spoke of a region, but it also spoke of a type of people, the Samaritans. We know the Samaritans well, don't we? They were what people considered half-breed, half-Jew, half-Gentile, result of the captivity days of Israel. And the fact of the matter was, many people in that day, they were hated by the Gentiles because they were half-Jew. They were hated by the Jews because they were half-Gentile, and they were outcasts. But you know what? There was somebody that loved them, and his name was Jesus. He loved the Samaritans. Samaria reminds us to not forget the unlovely, the unwanted, the forgotten ones of our society. They need the Lord too, amen. It's precious that Jesus included Samaria in the Great Commission. And then I like this at the end of verse eight, and unto the uttermost part of the earth, that means there's no place to stop. Just keep going, keep sending, keep giving for missions, keep going. And see, this first century church, they understood that. And we need that. Sometimes we need God to rework our thinking a little bit, reestablish our approach to ministry. Is it biblical? Is what we're doing biblical? Are we approaching ministry the Bible way? Oh, listen, there's many traditions of men, and not all traditions of men are bad, but watch out. I've seen it many times in my own church, my own life, other churches. Traditions of men can be elevated to a point where almost it seems like they're equal with the Word of God. God's got to deliver us from that. Well, we've always done it this way. Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible has a way of changing things. When we look to the Word, we look to God. Oh, I remember reading a story about a man, a businessman, uh, way up in one of these big high-rise buildings in a big city. 
and he was uh, working in his office. He took a little break. He walked over to the, to the window several stories up, and he's looking down. There's this little park with a sidewalk, and he could see down there that there were some men working, and specifically there was two men, two men down there working, and he was watching them. They're working hard, diligently, and he noticed that the first man was digging holes. The first man would dig a hole, a large hole, shovel and just, just hard manual labor, just digging, 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 digging. And then uh, he'd get done digging that hole, and the second man would come back behind him with his own shovel, and he would fill the hole back in. And then the first man would go to the neck, go down a few feet, and dig another hole. And the second guy followed him up and would fill the hole back in and just kept going all the way down this sidewalk on this park. And this businessman, he couldn't help himself. He said, what in the world are they doing? Digging a hole, filling it in. Digging a hole, filling it in. He said, it makes no sense. He just, the curiosity got, got to him. He goes downstairs, walks out to the park, across the street, goes to these men and says, what in the world are you doing? And he said, well, we're digging holes. He, he, he said, my job, he said, my, I'm the hole digger. Man number one, I'm the hole digger. He said, he's the hole filler. That's his job. He goes, I don't understand. Why in the world would your company hire you to dig a hole and you to fill it in? He says, well, no, no. He says, this isn't a two-man job. He says, this is a three-man job. But Larry called out sick, and he's the guy that's supposed to put the tree in the hole. You know what you call that? Going through the motions. Going through the motions. Just doing what we've always done. Did you know there's a lot of churches just going through the motions? We're digging holes, and we're filling them. We're digging holes, and we're filling them. But somewhere along the line, we forgot to put the tree in the hole. We got to get back to God's way. God's way. God help us to have an understanding. They had a clear focus. They had a clear understanding of what the church was and what the church was called to do. And every church needs a revival of understanding. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. So understanding. We need what they had. Number two, I see something else they had that we, many, many of us need tonight. Number two, urgency. Urgency. Boy, there was an urgency in the first century church. There was a zeal for God. Notice, I, I like what happened here at Acts chapter 1. Go back to Acts chapter 1, and I like what happens in this uh, verse 11. When these two uh, angels, they're listed here as men, but of course we know these are angel, angelic beings, and verse 11 says, uh, let's start in verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, what does that mean? It means they were standing there with their mouths wide open. Ah, you know, their tonsils were getting sunburned. They were watching Jesus ascend, and they're just standing there dumbfounded. What is, what's going on? And verse 10 says, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. I like verse 11. The angel said, why are you gazing? It's time to stop gazing and start going. Go pray, go seek God, go wait on the Spirit, go get ready to take the gospel to the world. You've heard what Jesus said to do in verse 8. Oh, there's a lot of Christians standing around gazing. There's a lot of Christians tonight on the sidelines. You know, Christianity and the work of the church, the gospel work, it's not a spectator sport. There's a whole lot of Christians just sitting in the grandstands and hoping somebody else will do it. 
It's not a sport where just 10% of the church does the work and the other 90% cheers them on and hopes they get it done. No, listen, the the work of the church is for 100% of the membership. Every person has a role. Every person has a gift. Every person has a calling. All of us praying, all of us going, all of us witnessing, and doing it with urgency. Listen, when you read through the book of Acts, you see that they prayed with urgency. Chapter 4, verse 31 says, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Boy, they prayed with urgency. They preached with urgency. That verse goes on, Acts 4, 31, and they spake the word of God with boldness. I love reading the sermons of Acts. Peter preached with boldness. Uh, Stephen preached with boldness and urgency and boldness in chapter 7. Philip preached with urgency. He preached Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch. Oh, we need a revival of urgency in the church again tonight. People that would say, I'm not going to go through my life uh, with a lackadaisical attitude, with apathy. I'm going to ask God to set a fire to my soul. I'm going to get back in the battle. There's some people here tonight, and I'm preaching to myself now. I'm stepping on my own toes a little bit here tonight. We used to have a zeal for the work of God. Some of us couldn't wait to give out gospel tracts, be a witness, couldn't wait for church services, couldn't wait to get together with God's people. Has that fire gone out? Oh, we need what they had. We need this urgency for the work of God. Third thing I see that the first century church had that we need tonight, number one, we saw they had understanding. Number two, they had urgency. Number three, they had unity. They had unity. Would you look with me at Acts chapter 1, verse 14 again? And it says here in verse 14, these all continued with one accord. Aren't those beautiful words? One accord. Would you mark those words in your Bible text? Mark them in your notes. One accord. Oh, would to God every local church would learn to be in one accord. Oh, I pray that for my church. I pray that for your church. I pray that for every church, that we would come into one accord. Look on in chapter, drop down with me to chapter 2, verse 46. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 says, and they continued daily with one accord. One accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, watch this, and singleness of heart. Mark that in your Bible. Mark that in your notes. Every church must come into one accord and have singleness of heart. How does that happen? How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It happens when everybody in the church gets their eyes on Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians 2.5, listen, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When the pastor gets his eyes on Jesus and the deacons get their eyes on Jesus and the Sunday school teachers get their eyes on Jesus and the ushers and the the Christian school teachers and the students and the adults and all of us, when we all get our eyes on Jesus and we all get the mind of Christ, guess what happens? One accord, singleness of heart. This is what God wants. And how many of you know the devil loves to fight that? Oh, he wants to bring division. He wants to bring distraction. And you know what happens? You know what brings contention? The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. That's what the Bible says. When there's contention in a, in a marriage, in a family, in a home, in a church, in any setting, look, look carefully somewhere you're going to find pride. 
Only by pride cometh contention. Oh, third John, I would encourage you to write this down and study it out, but third John, it says one chapter there, but verses nine through 12, the Bible mentions two men there. One's name is Diotrephes and another one's name is Demetrius. Two very different men. Their names both start with the letter D, but they're very different men, Diotrephes and Demetrius. Diotrephes was a man, the Bible says, who loveth to have the preeminence. He was a proud man. He wanted to be in charge. He wanted to be seen. He wanted to be glorified. Listen, dear friend, there's only one that deserves the preeminence, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, that he may be preeminent. We all have a role and a place in the church. There, there's God-ordained authority, and we honor that. But all of us worship at the feet of one, Jesus. And when someone in the church desires to take that place, it's going to bring pride and division. So God help us. But then Demetrius. Demetrius was a man who served the Lord faithfully, a humble man, a faithful man. Oh, God, increase his tribe. Amen. God, help me to be a Demetrius. God, help our church to be full of Demetriuses. Tonight, they had unity. We need what they had. We need understanding. We need urgency. We need unity. And then lastly, I want to give you this tonight. We need unction. Unction. Unction is a great English word that we get. It's in our King James Bibles. It's found in, in 1 John, of course. Unction. The word unction literally means anointing, an anointing. And tonight, if you're saved, you study that passage out about the unction, you have the unction. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. You have as much as the Holy Spirit as you're ever gonna have. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of me and all of you? If you're saved tonight, you have the unction of God or the anointing of God in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. The question is, is that unction flowing through your life into your ministry? Oh, how we need the power of the Holy Spirit upon our churches again. I'm not talking about this strange fire, new, uh, newfangled, uh, 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 holy roller type, uh, strange fire power and, and Holy Ghost. I'm talking about biblical Holy Spirit power and blessing. We need that. Oh, how we need the hand of the Lord upon our lives, upon our marriages, upon our families, upon our churches. When Jesus spoke in Acts 1-8, again, look at Acts 1-8, and he said, but ye shall receive power. I got to study that word a little bit. I'm sure many of you study that word, power. There's a couple different words in the Greek language that are translated into the word power in the English language. One speaks of authority. That's the one in Matthew 28, 18. But this one's different. This word power here is the word dunamis. Dunamis in, in, the, in that Greek language, dunamis. And, and if you do a little bit of study on that, you'll find out that when they invented dynamite, how many of you think dynamite's pretty powerful? They were trying to find a name for it a word for it in English, and they found this old root word, dunamis. And they, they said that describes what dynamite does. So they named dynamite after dunamis. Dynamite power. 
You know what dynamite does? Dynamite changes things. I remember living in Tennessee for a while when I was in Bible college, and you drive through the mountains there, the Smoky Mountains. If you look, you can see where they blasted the mountain away to put the road through. There's lines. They drill down in the mountain, and they drop those dynamite down in there, and they blow the side of the mountain off, and they, they put a road through. And I got thinking about that. Dynamite makes a way where there is no way. Guess what? The power of the Holy Spirit of God can make a way where there is no way. How we need the power of God tonight. We need the dunamis power that Jesus spoke of. Oh, listen, we see that in Pentecost uh, there in chapter 2. We see it in chapter 4 when God shook them and used them. And I want to tell you tonight, I don't know a lot of things, but I know this. I need God. My church needs God. My ministry my family, we need the Lord. And he is mighty to save. His arm is not shortened that he cannot save. He is powerful to work in lives. And he wants to bless his church. And he wants to use his church. But he said, I will pour water on them that are thirsty. When's the last time you prayed for God's unction to flow through your life? Lord, fill me, use me, empower me. Help me, help me teach that Sunday school class, Lord, with your power and blessing. Help me lead my home and my family, Lord, with your power and your blessing. God, give me a fresh touch. Give me a fresh uh, a moving in my heart. Help me on this bus route. Help me in my soul. And God, touch it with your mighty power. We need what they had. Listen tonight. I, I read a story about a missionary named Herbert Jackson. And he was on a foreign field. And uh, they had a little, they had a mission there. And they had a, like a, almost like a compound where the missionary lived and they gave him a car. It wasn't a very nice car, but he was thankful for it. He didn't have to walk village to village. He could drive this car. The problem was, the car was a great blessing, but the problem was it had one difficulty. He couldn't get it to start. <laughs> that's, how many think that's a problem? Amen. <laughs> he, couldn't get, he couldn't get it to start in the, in the normal way. It wouldn't crank up in a normal way. But he learned, he figured out that if it was on a hill, if he popped it in a neutral and started coasting it down the hill, it would crank up. And so he literally devised a plan where every time he drove the car, he would just park it on a hill where he could just push it. And sometimes he would get children to come out of the school and push it and a friend to push it. And he was, he was always pushing and making it. And sometimes it would be more difficult than others. But through all this effort, he would get that engine to crank up going down the hill and go. And for years he did that with that car. The time came for him to step down from the mission, and the new missionary came. And uh, he was showing him around the compound, and he said, well, here's the mission's car. <laughs> Let me tell you about this mission's car. And he started explaining to him, it won't start up on its own. He says, I have to park it on a hill. And he said, I've, I've devised this whole method, this whole plan. And he says, sometimes you got to push it real hard, and sometimes you just coast it down the hill, and it'll, it'll crank up, and it'll eventually go. Just you got to park it here, park it there. And so the new missionary was mechanically inclined. <laughs> And he says, let's open the hood and look at it. That's a good idea. So they popped the hood, opened it up, and that new missionary looked down in there, and he saw where a cable was, had come loose. And he twisted it, and he tightened it, and he rewired it. And he walked around back into the car, put the key in, turned it, vroom, vroom, vroom. it cranked right up. And he said, there was your problem the whole time. All you had to do was just rewire it, connect it. When I read that story, I thought that's like a lot of us. 
A lot of us are pushing the car down the hill. We're trying in our own strength. We're pushing. We're trying to get other people to push, and we're pulling, and we're trying to make it happen, and we come up with our own plans and our own ways to get the work of God done, and what really needs to happen is we need to get connected again to the power of God. Sometimes we need God, listen, to rewire us a little bit, just our thinking, back to his word, back to the power of his Holy Spirit. Stop Stop relying tonight on our own strength, our own ingenuity, our own way, and say, Lord, we may have a lot of things they didn't have in the first century, but boy, we need what they had. Lord, give us understanding of your work, your way. Lord, help us tonight and give us us that urgency to get off the sidelines and serve you. Lord, tonight, bring unity to the people of God. And oh, give us that unction, that power from on high, that unction to function. Amen. Let's pray.